the Cascadia subduction zone can create a magnitude 9 earthquake, which is a very large earthquake that would shake on the order of five minutes. And after that earthquake starts, it will also create a tsunami. Welcome to Seismic Airwaves, a podcast about earthquakes based in Portland, Oregon. Join me, your host, Sabina Roan, as we explore issues related to earthquakes and disaster recovery and break down myths about the big ones by talking to experts and survivors. If we're going to talk about earthquakes in the Pacific Northwest of the U.S., as well as Western Canada, number one is the Cascadia Subduction Zone. These three words have the potential to cause bellies to flutter in fear, shoulders to tense, and fists to clench. But the biggest thing to fear is fear itself, right? For our first episode, we're addressing the question of, what is the Cascadia Subduction Zone, actually? To kick us off on the journey of better understanding and preparing for a major earthquake, I talked to Yumei Wong, a civil geohazards engineer with a geology background working for the Oregon Department of Geology and Mineral Industries, based in Portland too. In the mid-1990s, she helped launch awareness about this earthquake and has been spreading awareness and knowledge ever since. So the shaking would be quite strong in the western part of the Pacific Northwest, so um, all the way to like the I-5 corridor, uh, Portland, Seattle, British Columbia, Vancouver, uh, Victoria, the, that area would be um, shaken hard. The tsunami would hit the coastal areas, so really the very low-lying coastal areas um, can have a lot of destruction. The tsunami is generated when the seafloor is uplifted. And it's a little bit like throwing a pebble into a pond with the rings uh, going outwards. But this is a bottom-up phenomenon where the tsunami waves will first hit the coastline and then the tsunami waves will also propagate across the whole Pacific Basin. So across to Hawaii and then afterwards to like Japan and and Asia. The coastal area would get hit the hardest. They would have the strongest shaking. The tsunami will uh, cause damage um, and injuries and and fatalities. Uh, The coastal area would be isolated the longest time because the road network that connects 101 and I-5 would be very compromised. There wouldn't be any uh, roads open across the coast range and it, they would take, um, it would take the longest time for uh, emergency response to get out to the coast. I asked you, May, to explain these faults and how they produce such catastrophic effects. The Cascadia Fault is a plate boundary fault, and it this type of fault system can produce the largest earthquakes that can be generated on Earth. A magnitude 9.5 is the largest earthquake that's ever been recorded, and that was on the uh, subduction zone just offshore from Chile. And the next biggest earthquake 
was the 1964 Alaska earthquake. It was a magnitude 9.2, and that uh, was on the Pacific plate hitting the North American plate. Um, offshore from us is the Wanafuka plate, and it's being subducted under the North American plate. The Pacific Northwest Coast faces specific issues from the effect of the earthquake and tsunami. I asked Yume what else is known about which areas will face more damage, say, in Portland. It also matters where you are during an earthquake. If, if the earthquake occurs during the daytime, then it is very likely that we'll have a lot more casualties because people are in people are in downtown and in industrial buildings and uh, these buildings sometimes they're older they don't perform as well as small wood frame structures like most typical homes if the earthquake occurs during the winter then there would be a lot more damage because of the groundwater table the groundwater levels are higher and we're expected to have um, liquefaction in the floodplains. Think of the Willamette River floodplain. It's We've, we've built many of our uh, communities on the floodplain, and liquefaction needs three ingredients. You need to have water-saturated soil. The soil needs to be loose, sandy, or silty soil. And then the third component is the shaking. And what is solid ground in normal conditions can suddenly turn into a thick soup, like a quicksand, and that is what we call liquefaction. Right next to rivers is where we typically see the most severe liquefaction hazards. Um, the riverbanks, if they're loose, sandy silts, uh, because the water table is uh, right up uh, right up near the ground surface, that's the area that can liquefy and a liquid's going to run downslope. So it's very common for liquefied ground to move towards the river channel. Since we're based in Portland, I've got to ask, what makes Portland so vulnerable? If you think of Portland, we're right at the confluence of the Willamette River and the Columbia River, and there's a lot of loose sandy uh, soils. You might even have gone to some of the beaches um, this is the type of soil that can uh, easily liquefy. And if you look around, you can see that we've built um, in these locations right next to the river. We like being next to the river. There are old retaining walls, um, bridges, buildings. There's underground. There's buried pipelines, uh, natural gas, uh, liquid fuel like petroleum and jet fuel. There's transmission lines, uh, electrical transmission lines, crossings. So we really do build a lot right next to rivers. We also built the PDX airport um, on liquefiable ground, as well as some of our water and wastewater treatment plants. You may also explain how we measure the intensity of earthquakes and why the Richter scale does not necessarily capture the severity of a quake. A lot of times it doesn't matter to everyday people what the earthquake magnitude is because if they're far away from a big earthquake it really might not affect them at all 
Um, so there's the, another scale called the intensity scale, and there's different types of intensity scales. The type that we use is uh, most frequently is the modified Mercalli intensity scale. So it's just like a light bulb. You might have a 100-watt light bulb, unless you're eco-friendly. I guess you don't use that high wattage anymore. But um, so we'll go with a 60-watt light bulb. You, there, you know, that light bulb will have one uh, wattage rating, but the intensity of it is the strongest when you're right up next to it. And as you get further away, the intensity gets less and gets lower and lower. And if you're in the other room, you might not see it at all. And it's the same thing with an earthquake. You might have you have one magnitude um, and multiple uh, intensities that will eventually end up being uh, intensity one and then zero. In general, the intensity gets lower and lower as you move away from the earthquake. So the, there's damping or attenuation as you move away from the earthquake. But there are certain things that can happen that will bump the intensity back up and cause more damage. Liquefiable soils is one of them. Most people care about soil types because of what's on top of them, the cities, houses, etc., you may have been part of response teams post-earthquake, and she's seen what actually happens. If you have soils that liquefy and the buildings get pulled apart and damaged, then you're going to have more damage there because, because of that special soil condition. Um, in, in fact, you know, one of the things that I've learned from being on earthquake investigations is that casualties are usually concentrated in two or three areas um, in when you have um, buildings that are weak and brittle and they break and collapse down into rubble piles big buildings like that is where you can have a lot of fatalities um, the other area is in the tsunami zone um, if you're if you cannot get out of the tsunami zone and you're hit by the tsunami you will likely die it's a very dangerous place to be. And the third area where you can have a lot of casualties is where you have um, places where the ground permanently moves out, like um, a landslide. You can have big landslides that bury uh, you know, entire towns um, or, or areas where you have uh, extensive liquefaction. So if you have a lot of ground that moves out and pulls apart buildings, um, that's an area where you can also ha have a concentration of, of casualties. So everyone wants to know, after hearing about the Cascadia subduction zone, okay, I understand this is a big deal, but when will it happen? So when I started here, when I started working in Oregon over 25 years ago, there were only a handful of people who even knew about the Cascadia subduction zone. And over these years, it's now general knowledge. Everybody really knows about this earthquake risk. So that's a huge step forward. That's great. Uh, because if you know about the risk and you know how to take personal protective action, drop cover and hold on, uh, you will likely be just fine. So... Knowing about the earthquake is really important. 
Scientists cannot determine when exactly the next earthquake is going to be. There's, there's no predictive tools to tell you when the next earthquake will be. There are now earthquake early warning systems where right after an earthquake occurs, you can have seconds or perhaps tens of seconds of warning time that that earthquake has already occurred and the earthquake waves are coming in your direction. So tens of seconds, seconds or tens of seconds doesn't sound like very long, but you could do some important actions with a little tiny bit of lead time like that. That's the closest that scientists have been able to get to to predict earthquakes. We know that we're in an area where we're in earthquake country. Um, we have very big active faults around here, and we know that the Cascadia subduction zone fault has been triggered over 40 times in the last 10,000 years. So about every 500 years or so, a very big earthquake is unleashed off the Cascadia subduction zone, magnitude 8 or 9, with an accompanying tsunami. So what is the Cascadia subduction zone? You may cover the basics about this earthquake and the tsunami it will trigger. Coastal areas need to be especially aware for the shaking and tsunami, but other liquefiable soil and unsafe buildings also face increased risk. One thing's for sure, don't plan on flying out of the mess because the airport may be in the river. To find out if your home, workplace, school, etc. face increased risk factors that you may mentioned, like liquefaction or slope, check out portlandmaps.com. Oregon Public Broadcasting's Unprepared website also has a tool you can punch addresses into called Aftershock. If you're like me, you probably have even more questions after listening to this episode. In future episodes of this podcast, we'll dive into deeper discussion of a lot of the aspects touched on here. Ignorance may be blissful, but now that we know about how major this earthquake will be, there's no going back. So we might as well get educated about it all. You with me? Tune back in next time to hear my conversation with Devon Wilson-Angel of Portland's Neighborhood Emergency Teams. And in the meantime, take care. Oh, 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 oh,